Jen Cooper, the keeper here, ready for the next episode of the Mixed Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. This is episode number 332. And with that number, we'll give a shout out to Christine Lilly, who, get this, of her 354 caps, and yes, that's a world record, of her 354 appearances for the U.S. national team, 332 of those were starts. So not only does she have the most appearances of anybody in the world, she also has the most starts in the world. Christy Rampone didn't catch her. Carly Carly Lloyd didn't catch her. I don't know. Sinclair? Maybe. Maybe Christine Sinclair can catch her. We'll see. All right. Two chats today. Um, I spoke to someone from each of our two new teams in NWSL this year. First had a fun chat with young player Vanessa Cara. Um, We didn't see a lot of her this year in NWSL, but I just thought her story was so fascinating. Um, You know, playing at Drexel, transferring to Florida, three ACL tears before she even gets into the pros. She's a trial at North Carolina and a week later, uh, COVID shuts everything down, you know? So I thought it was interesting how she ended up with Louisville and also getting a call up this year, her first international call up to the Dominican Republic, where in her debut, she gets two goals and an assist. So a young player who I'm sure we're going to see a lot more of in 2022, but I wanted to hear from her about her soccer journey And then for Kansas City, now Kansas City Current, we now know their name, we now have a crest. I spoke with their COO, Amber Cox, um, who used to work in in WNBA, um, also was in charge of Dash Marketing for a year, so she's not new to NWSL, about her journey connecting with the club. She's originally from Kansas City, so reached out to the owners and wanted to get involved. So we talked uh, a lot about her journey this year and, and the unveiling of the logo, the name, the colors, the stadium, all that stuff. Um, so hope you enjoy those two chats and there'll be a brief Jensplainer segment just about extra time playoff details. Um, so lots of content. Enjoy. All right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Vanessa Cara from Racing Louisville FC. Vanessa, I just, um, I have to say, I found your story so interesting is, of course, I'm always spending time working on player bios, and maybe this is CONCACAF dorky of me, but when I saw that you were called up by Dominican Republic earlier this year, I was like, wow, that's kind of cool. I need to talk to her about this. So first, um, hey, you know, welcome to NWSL, maybe a year late, and we'll, we'll get into that. And uh, um, just, you know, thanks for taking the time to talk. Yeah, uh, thank you uh, for having me. I've definitely had, uh, you know, an abnormal uh, journey to get to where I am. So I'm happy, happy to share it. So, so let's go back to your last year of, of college. Um, you had transferred from Drexel University to Florida, where you played for, for Becky Burley, which I think a lot more Wosa fans know about now that she, you know, coached half a season for Orlando. So talk about playing at Florida. You had a pretty big senior season in the SEC. Yeah. So, I mean, that whole thing was, was quite exciting for me because I had, like you said, gone to, to Drexel um, before that. It was like pretty much my only like college offer because I had a couple of ACL tears in high school tore my third ACL uh, while I was at Drexel, which a lot wow. of people see. 
<laughs> yeah, it's been a, you know, I've been through through a, a bit of a, you know, physical setback. But yeah, the third ACL honestly just set up such a great opportunity where I could graduate from Drexel, which I did want to graduate from there because I was studying engineering and it's a you know, highly regarded engineering school. Um, so I could graduate with my degree uh, and still have a year of eligibility left. So it just kind of all fell into place. Um, and yet during my senior year at Drexel, I started, you know, talking to a few um, colleges and Becky and Florida, you know, expressed interest in me. And I had known um, who Becky really was. It was so funny. I would read, you know, books about uh, building culture at Drexel where, you know, the culture maybe wasn't the best thing. And, you know, as, as captain, you know, I'd, I'd share the book with my, my co-captain and we'd read about Becky Burley and her philosophies and we'd implement them at Drexel. So it just, it seemed so crazy that, that that was somebody who was expressing interest in me at such, um, you know, a good program like Florida that I never thought I could, could play for. Um, so once she expressed interest, I, you know, I, I kind of ran with it and, and leaped into to being a Gator. And so, you know, coming into, you know, the 2020 draft, having, you know, uh, you led the team in scoring in fall 2019. So you're coming into the 2020 draft, feeling pretty good. You don't get drafted, but you do get a pretty important phone call the day after the draft. Yeah, so I had honestly expected to be drafted and Becky had even heard from you know, a coaching on episode that I was, that they were going to take me. Uh, so I actually even went to the draft because I was told I was going to be picked. Uh, oh. uh, <laughs> so that, you know, it's pretty tough to, to go somewhere and just listen to everyone else, you know, kind of have their dream come true and you just kind of awkwardly walk out the, the back door there. <laughs> um, but no, it was good. I was happy uh, that I went because uh, it, it just seems fitting with my story that I was never really noticed. Uh, and it kind of just was there. I just persisted and, and was there. And that's kind of what happened. I got a call from Paul Riley the next day, uh, obviously just before, you know, anyone knew anything about him, um, inviting me into to the courage. And, you know, at the time, courage, courage was on top. And I was like, absolutely, you know, I want to see how good I can get. And, right, you know, right. It's like a good place for that, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, they just come off their second NWSL title. So you're like, oh, my God, the number one team wants me to come in and train. Yeah. Um, and he's only inviting two trialists in that year. So I was like, okay, like, it's just like, it felt kind of, you know, still like an honor, even though I uh, wasn't drafted. So I was still, you know, just, just as excited, just as um, optimistic. So March, 2020, you, you get a good week of training <laughs> with, <laughs> with the courage. And we yeah. all remember what, what happened, uh, you know, March 11th, March 12th, uh, 2020. Um, so, you know, the breaks are put on the season, you're a trialist, so you've got no guarantee the way that any of the players on contract, right? Like they were, they ended up being guaranteed for the year. Yeah. So, so what did you do? I mean, how did you kind of like, did you go back to school for a little bit or start looking at Europe? I mean, how did you deal with um, continuing your career? Um, yeah. So that getting let go from, they told me just, you know, Paul called me and said, just because of the circumstances, like, you know, they're going to just go and like, you know, go with who they have. And I was, you know, it made sense. I had a, a good week. He told me I had a good week, but you know, that's like not enough. Right. Uh, obviously. So, um, you know, that one wasn't too hard to swallow. So like, all right, it's not scale. Like I still, you know, believed in myself just as much. Um, it wasn't him saying I wasn't good enough. Um, and then a couple weeks later, I was still training, just staying fit. 
um, I got a call uh, from Freya from Sky Blue. Uh, they wanted me in. And I was like, great. Like, this is my home state. <laughs> like, everything, you know, I was telling myself, everything works out exactly as it's supposed to be. Uh, you know, I come strutting into Sky Blue practice. I know most of their players um, from training with them, like, through the years of college. Uh, so, I was like, it was just so fitting. Uh, and then I think I lasted 20 minutes before tweaking my knee a little bit. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Yeah, so I was out for, like, two to three weeks. It was super small. Like, I just overtrained trying to stay fit, uh, you know, for so long since preseason kept getting pushed back. Um, so I ended up missing the Challenge Cup with them, missing my, you know, chance to play for my team in my home state. Uh, and after that, that one was tough because I just felt like my dream was finally handed to me. And then, you know, within 20 minutes, <laughs> it was taken away. Uh, just, like, just another you know, another little bump in the road, you know, let's call it. But you did end up finding that summer um, a place in Finland. So getting your first pro experience. How did that come about? Yeah, so um, I was like pretty down, obviously, after the whole uh, sky blue thing. But then, you know, I I had an agent at the time. And uh, we, you know, our next play, you know, the NWSL was no longer in play. Uh, So I was like, all right, like, let's like I gave a person let's finally like look look to overseas and and see uh what can happen there and he found a couple of teams but there was this team in Finland and the head coach knew uh Becky Burley and it was a place where where Becky said that like at least you'll know you'll be taken care of uh, it'll be like a good experience um so I kind of you know trusted her on that and I kind of just needed a win at this point uh in 2020 so I took took the chance of of going to Finland and it turned out to be um, one of the greatest experiences of my life. I, I absolutely loved it. So tell me, what, what is the cuisine like in Finland? Um, you know, it's, it wasn't too different than here. Um, a lot more, like I started eating more fish there and ended up becoming a pescatarian. I don't know if that's normal or if that's just like the people I was around. So I don't want to generalize like Finnish people here. Um, <laughs> but that's what I... Um, I was open to, I started eating more and they had more options for like being a vegetarian and, and stuff like that, which I really enjoy. I'm a big uh, environmentalist. So I thought that was a kind of unique, unique thing I got to experience there. Yeah. I mean, I, I figured they'd, they'd have, they'd have a lot of fish, uh, you know, yeah. being lo- location wise and weather wise. I mean, of course you were there, I think mostly, you know, summer hours, but you know, you're, you're so far North, you know, latitude wise, were like the days like crazy long or, you know, what, what was the weather like? So at first, yes, the days were, were crazy long and I liked it. It would get dark at like 11, which to them, like, you know, they, their peak summer, it doesn't really like get dark. Um, but I got there in August and yeah, it would stay like sunny till like 10 30, 11. I was loving it. Uh, like 70 degree weather at first. And then by uh, November, it had really changed. It was gray every day, very rainy. Their fall, like, you know, all their leaves were gone, like, early October. The days were short. It was, like, we were practicing, like, in the dark at, like, 4 o'clock, like, throughout October. And I was, like, all right. Like, wow. <laughs> it was a little depressing. So, like, I don't know how how they do that. Um, but, you know, for, for a month or two, it wasn't, it wasn't so terrible. <laughs> and when did you first hear from – racing louisville how did that connection come about so yeah i had been training at this uh facility in south jersey 
uh, called the Keeper Institute. I go and kind of like work on my finishing with their their goalkeepers, and there's some pros there. And I've known that's, Michelle that's Bezos. That's Jill Lloyden's yes. business, yeah? Jill okay. Lloyden's place. Yeah, yeah, okay. I'm very close um, with them. They, they, uh, Jill's the one who got me, like, uh, who ended up getting Becky to, you know, be interested in me. So it's all kind of connected. Um, nice. Yeah, so, yes, yes. Big, big fan of Jill Lloyden here. Uh, so, yeah, I've been training with her for since I was uh, a freshman in college. Um, She's, you know, really helped me develop. And I've been at the Keeper Institute training with, with their pro keepers. Um, for a while so I knew Michelle Betos uh she trains there and I was kind of talking to her like man I just like cannot get a break like I don't know where I'm gonna go like nobody would even take me as a trialist I was like how did I get in this position where I went from success at Florida um to now like you know struggling to even be a trialist somewhere and she uh you know I didn't know she was doing it she met uh with Christy and you know put in a good word for me said like hey this kid is you know is good she needs a chance but like just like she just needs a break um and he ended up uh, inviting me into preseason so very grateful to to me for, for all of her help <laughs> and you, you earned a contract you earned a real contract you know with the real first contract, season yeah. of you know of an expansion team that you know i think has done so many things uh you know right with the you know the stadium, obviously, that's part of, you know, Louisville City, too, you know, like the image, the planning, um, you know, and now, you know, host, hosting the final. So we didn't get to see you a lot this season on the field. But tell me what it was like to be part of this new team that thankfully, unlike some teams having to launch in and do sell, it wasn't launching by itself in terms of like, you know, Louisville City is established in town, you know, they had already opened that venue. So they, they had a roadmap for what they wanted to do, but this was, this was pretty new for NWSL. So, so talk about being part of that seeing seeing all of that from the inside. Yeah. I mean, the, the way that, you know, obviously things didn't go like according to plan and like things, you know, there were things that went wrong with like Christy and all that, but, you know, a, apart from that, the, the club really did, uh, provide such a, a great environment um, to, to train, you know, a training facility was like next, you know, it's just like every day, like, you know, when I go into work and you get to like look around like that facility and, you know, the fields we have out there and it's just, it feels incredible to be a part of. I'm like, wow. I'm like, you know, little me is freaking out. I'm like, you know, adult me is freaking out. Like this is all, <laughs> <laughs> like all, all really, really cool. And yeah, no, the season definitely did not go uh, the way I anticipated. I struggled, uh, with confidence a lot. And a lot of that, you know, had to do with, uh, you know, my relationship with Christy. It, it wasn't the best to be honest. Um, and I felt like put down a lot and let it really affect my confidence. But this group of players and the, you know, the supporting staff around that is, is what got me through and helped me, you know, to, to keep uh, believing. And so like this group was amazing and to watch, I know obviously like the results we got, like weren't, weren't the best, but, I mean, seeing these girls achieve what, what we achieved, I just think it, it was incredible to be a part of. And of course I want more and want to pursue growth, but I'm also just so so grateful for what this year was. And, you know, seeing us be a team that I think other teams didn't want to play, you know, we were gritty and, and, and hard to beat. So I just do feel pride uh, for this club. Well, I, I was on the call for the Orlando Louisville game uh, a few weeks back where you know, you guys basically eliminated them with, you know, what, what I would say was kind of a surprising win, right? Like, 
you know, you guys have been stronger at home, but, but still it's like, I wouldn't have expected, um, you know, a three, one win over a team that had been, you know, we all thought a, a contender. So, you know, talk about how that felt, especially towards the end of the season where, you, you know, you, you know, you guys are out of the playoffs, um, but you can still show that you've got, you know, something to prove and that you're building something for the future. Yeah, I think, you know, with the, the controversy, like we went through this year, it's like, we, I don't know, I think that all happened and we all kind of just forgot like how like good this group can be and like when when we play and we're like in flow and you know counter-attacking teams like, like we're really really good we're young and we're good um so it was just exciting like I kind of felt like before that game we all were like in the locker like oh my gosh like do you feel a really good vibe yeah like do you feel really like we all were like <laughs> you know, there was like something like stirring that night and you know it's it's frustrating because we obviously didn't show that, um, you know, too frequently throughout the season, but like, it's something that's there and it's in the locker room uh, in Louisville. Um, so just, I don't know. It did feel like an upset to everyone else, but to us, it was just like, yes, like this, this is who we are. This is what we're, we're capable of. And it was nice to just kind of get that feeling at the end of the season. And, you know, we ended up finishing out with a couple of ties there, but you know, they, they were, you know, good results for us. And it was just nice for us to end, end the season knowing like, Hey, this is what we're capable of. And like, it's a stepping stone. Like next year we aren't starting from square one. Like we, we do know who we are and that we can really make a dent uh, in this league. Yeah. Those last two ties, you know, was a home and away series against Gotham. You know, if you're just looking at, at the standings, if you're not paying close attention to the league, you're like, Oh my God, that's so easy for Gotham. They're going to, you know, grab six points. They did not. They, they grabbed two, you know, even just, just getting a draw, you know, at home. And, you know, I, I thought that was such a good sign for this club because, you know, it's a pretty long season, you know, um, and, and it can be pretty frustrating, uh, you know, once you're out of the playoffs. And of course, you know, Louisville, like many clubs, has dealt with some serious drama this year. But I thought that was such a, a great way for you know, the club to end showing in the season showing that, you know, Hey, we're in this. And like you said, we're, we're ready for 2022. <laughs> and then yeah, I, um, Oh, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, uh, after we kind of like were mathematically, uh, eliminated from, from playoffs, we did have a team meeting, um, like Mish called us into the locker room. We, um, just, just the players. Um, and we talked about, okay, like we're out, but we still get to decide like who we're going to be. And like, that was important to us. And I think, you know, was the reason for, for those good results. And to me, that's, that's more telling of, of a team's character. Um, and it was really, it was just really exciting to see that, you know, even without anything to play for, except for, you know, pride and establishing ourselves, like we, we stepped up to that. And I thought that was really cool to see. Well, and that says a lot about Mish, right? That just yeah. like, all right, team meeting, you know, uh, that, that bodes well for Louisville's future. Um, but yeah. then I want to ask you about, um, you know, how did you first get contacted by the Dominican Republic? Because it, it kind of caught me by surprise when I guess the press release came out maybe early September, you know, saying, oh, Vanessa Kara called up by Dominican Republic. And I'm like, wow, you know, didn't know, didn't know she had that connection you know, didn't know Dominican Republic was playing games. Um, you know, so I reached out to, to Louisville PR and, you know, Jonathan gave me, you know, more info. Now, 
And I know those games got then rescheduled for, for October. And we'll talk about those in a bit, but how did you, how did that connection get made? Yeah. So honestly, it was crazy. Like I, you know, um, my career, like, you know, I've kind of alluded to, I've been pretty like unnoticed for like my career. I'm just a player who's like works hard and like persists and is like there somehow still. Um, so it's like, I never really thought of playing like internationally. Like I, you know, I knew the U S like that was maybe in my cards. Um, so it was like never really a dream of mine, but I was home. I was actually home with my parents uh, visiting in an international break where before I got called into, into the VR. Um, and I was like telling my parents, I said, Hey, like this, I feel like should be a possibility for me. Like why, like, haven't I been involved with the Dominican Republic? Like I want to be involved. I just like, I don't really know how to go about it. And then I get a call literally three days later from a recruiter from the Dominican Republic. And he's like, Hey, like, do you want to be a part of like what we're doing? Like for the first time ever, we're investing in like second or third generation players uh, like myself. So recruiting like Americans and Europeans who have ties to Dominican Republic. He's like, we're really starting to to try to build something special where we can be competitive in the CONCACAF. Like, do you want to be a part of it? I was like, well, wait, like, shouldn't this be harder? I just like tried to like manifest <laughs> two days ago and it's here. Uh, I was like, yeah, where, where do I sign up? Um, just everything they're trying to do, like they're trying to do things the the right way um and it just feels incredible to get to be a part of like the start of something that i think is gonna be really special for dominican republic and how did they know that you were second or third generation dominican republic like it it had you talked about that at some point were they like was it on your college bio or i honestly like i'm still not sure but uh, I coached this one uh, training facility here. Uh, it's actually in Pennsylvania. Uh, it's called Max Football. And one of the girls, like, trains there. And, like, her dad is, like, involved with recruiting. So, like, somehow, like, talking there, he talked to the guy who who runs the whole thing, George Rodriguez, there. Like, hey, like, is Vanessa, like, what ethnicity is she? Like, any chance she's Dominican? And he's like, wait, she actually, like, is specifically Dominican. So it's just, you know, the world is crazy. I do believe in, uh, you know, manifesting things. And it's just the timing of it was, was just so bizarre uh, and also exciting. <laughs> I like that. Any chance she's Dominican Republic, which sounds very, very <laughs> random in in Pennsylvania, you said? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, hey, she is. That, she is, that is so awesome. And so, yeah. so you guys got to play Bolivia last month. You get your first senior cap. You score two of the three goals and assist the other in the three zero win. So I'm I'm so bummed we couldn't watch that somewhere, right? But but tell me about that game. Um, yeah, I mean it was it was crazy to me. Uh I remember we, we drive we played up uh in Santiago, Dominican Republic. It was like two hours from where we were staying in uh in the capital. So the whole drive, I was like, wow. <laughs> I was like, legit, like, pinching myself. I was like, I'm going to get an international cap here. Like, this is this is crazy for Dominican Republic. Um, and you know what? Like, I was just really, really, like, I felt good before the game. Kind of like the same thing. Where it's like, you just know it's a, a good vibe, which is totally uh, present with my teammates. We all were excited to to really show that um, this is a team that can be competitive. And we were still missing, you know, a, a bunch of players. Uh, but we were like, this is the start of something new. Uh, our president was like highly involved with us, uh, that, that camp. Um, so we just like, we knew we had so much to play for, but, but not in a stressful way, just in a way that was like, this is what this, you know, 
program and country does deserve and what they're capable of. And we just kind of got to, to showcase it all. Um, so it was a game that we weren't really thinking and man, it, it just felt good. It really came together to, to get that result and show that everything that, that we believed uh, is true and, and that there is a lot to come uh, from the Dominican team. And had they promoted the game very much locally? Were, the, were there fans, you know, cheering for you guys? Yeah, they promoted it locally. I would say historically they don't get the most fans historically. They haven't haven't been the best. Right, right. And they probably haven't played very regularly either. Or regularly, yes. Um, so it's been, you know, not really invested in. So, uh, no, we didn't really have the most fans. But then even, like, on social media, you could see, like, after the game, they were, like, 3-0 results, like, posting the highlights. And some of the plays were, were pretty decent. Um, and everyone was like, wait, like, their comments like they were all in Spanish but they were saying like oh these these girls like they look better than like the men do and like, things like that where <laughs> people were like they were noticing uh so it was just really cool that you know I imagine now uh we'll, we'll start to get a little bit more traction and I'm assuming you guys have games in January when uh CONCACAF qualifying begins yeah so we have uh scrimmages set up or friendly set up for we have a break uh, an international window in uh, end of November. So it's coming up in a couple couple weeks. Uh, we will have, I don't know against two yet, but we will have January friendlies and then World Cup qualifying begins uh, in February um, to, to get us ready for those. And are there, I'm assuming there's other Americans on the squad that we may have heard of that might be playing college or something, or is it? Yeah, we have um, a couple of college kids. So honestly, I haven't really met too many of the college kids. I was saying we were missing a lot of people. So at our last window, it was, you know, right in the middle of the, the college season. So we were missing those kids. I think there's like eight of them that I haven't haven't seen yet. Um, and then we have a couple of American girls that are playing. There's a girl in, in Denmark playing and a girl playing in, in the Finnish league, actually. Um, so there's, and then we have girls from Spain that are playing in the, in the, you know, in La Liga over there. So it's turning into, you know, a, a decent squad here. Uh, that's so awesome. And I mean, and, and what a way to kind of reward you for sticking with it, right? Where, you know, 2020 was almost a wash, you know, you did find a home with Louisville for 2021 and we, you know, didn't get to see much of you, but I hope we will in, in 2022, but to kind of get that reward at the end, right. You know, that it's like, Hey, <laughs> I'm, I'm still here. I'm still fighting. Um, you know, it's, that's why I always love finding these stories, um, you know, in, in women's soccer. Um, so last question for you, Vanessa, what's your plan for the, for the off season? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's always pretty much the same. Uh, I'm back home in uh, New Jersey. You know, I'm going to be training at the Cooper Institute, uh, like I always am. Um, and, you know, where I train in, in PA as well. Um, but it's okay, but there's a good group of, you know, NWSL players from the, the South Jersey area. So we kind of uh, train together. Um, it's honestly, it's, it's a bunch of fun. Um, I get in, into coaching and then we have, you know, I have stuff with Dominican Republic uh, as well. So, you know, off season doesn't really feel uh, so much like off season. He's just playing football all the time, but um, that's that's exactly how I want it, um, and it it just feels good to, to be back in in Jersey for a bit. Well, Vanessa, thank you so much for taking the time to share your story, and I wish you so much luck for twenty twenty two for both you and and racing Louisville. 
Yeah, super excited, uh, you know, for the next season. Uh, and I've really just enjoyed, uh, you know, uh, conversing with you. So thank you. Time for a little gensplaining. And this this is pretty simple. Um, hopefully. I think so. So we're in the playoffs for NWSL. So unlike the regular season... The game doesn't end after 90 minutes if it's tied. Uh, So for playoff games, since, of course, there has to be a winner, if the game is tied after 90 minutes, they go on and play two 15-minute periods of extra time. They play all of it, regardless of how much scoring happens in those periods. If, after the end of those 30 minutes, the score is still tied, then they go into penalty kicks. That determines the winner. Now, the interesting thing about going into to extra time is what it does to the subs. So we're already in this experimental phase with subs since COVID, and this will be good at least through 2022, where each team is allowed up to five subs. And that doesn't even include concussion subs, but we'll just stick with the regular subs. Each team allowed up to five subs. If we go into extra time, Each team is then allowed an additional sub as well. You do have the restriction of what's called sub windows um, because they don't want the subbing to overly impact the flow of the game. So you can only, if we're talking about a 90-minute period, you can only make subs at three different times during the game plus halftime. If you go into extra time, you're allowed to make subs, the break between regulation and extra time. You're allowed to make subs between the two periods of extra time, and you're allowed one more sub window um, in addition to the ones that you had to start with. I hope that's not too confusing. And just to keep in mind, whoever does win the penalty kick shootout, if a game gets that far, sure, they're the winner of the game, and obviously they advance to the final if if it happens this weekend, but the game is recorded as a tie because the game itself was a tie game. The penalty kick shootout was used to determine a winner for advancement. So anytime you look at a team's record, like say you look at the U.S.'s World Cup record, um, you know, the final in 1999 would be recorded as a draw, even though they won the trophy. The final in 2011 would be recorded as a draw, even though Japan won the trophy, they'd also be recorded as a draw. So, and of course, the one of those games we don't like to think about very much, that quarterfinal against Sweden in 2016, that counts as a draw. So that was one of the three years in U.S. soccer, women's soccer history, that they went the entire season undefeated. But it's really weird to reconcile the word undefeated and know that you were eliminated in the quarterfinals. Anyway, I'm digressing, but just some basic info about the playoffs. Always good to be reminded, especially when the bulk of the season, we don't have to deal with that at all. All right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Amber Cox from now the Kansas City Current, no longer just Kansas City Woso. Amber is the COO of the club. And Amber, I, you know, you and I worked together uh, back at the Dash five years ago. So I was so excited when um, I saw that you were joining Kansas City. I was like, hey, how how lucky is Kansas City that you're actually getting to hire someone who has worked not only women's sports, but 
in women's soccer. But what was it like for you? This is really the, the what was it like for Amber Cox story? I mean, it has been a dream come true on so many levels. Um, I credit the dash and my time in Houston for really falling in love with the league and becoming, you know, just a hardcore fan. Um, like everybody else through the 2020 season, um, loved watching, um, uh, everything sort of come together and the league really flourish in a really difficult, difficult situation. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, my time with the dash really, um, uh, created this love for the league and, and was following along and, and loved to see the growth. And, you know, it was really the perfect storm coming back here. I was very happy um, working in Connecticut with our WNBA team there. And, um, but when I saw that Kansas city was getting this team and you kind of see all the excitement around um, what Chris, Angie, Chris and Angie Long and Brittany Matthews were doing. Um, it's, it's really kind of an amazing story. I reached out to Chris uh, long via Twitter and just mm-hmm. said like, look, I'm going to be back in Kansas city for a chief's playoff game. This is home for me about two hours South of Kansas city. So I'm really have net. My heart has never left this area. Um, all my family is still here. I'm back here very, very frequently. I'm a huge Kansas city chiefs fan. Um, <laughs> nice. So I've, I'm back here quite a lot I, through all the years that I've been been gone for about 20 years working in various other organizations. So I just reached out to Chris and said, you know, I've got a lot of institutional knowledge in women's sports. I work for the Dash. Like, if you want to grab coffee, I'm happy to do it. They took me up on it, thankfully. We had a great, long conversation, and one thing led to another, and, and here I am. So it's really been a dream come true to be doing what I love and and helping grow um, women's soccer, the NWSL in, you know, my, my home state. And that happened pretty quickly, right? So this wasn't a Louisville situation or Angel City situation where, hey, we're hiring you and the team launches in six months, 12 months. <laughs> this was what? How much time did you have? So I, I, I can't remember my exact start date, but it was sometime in February um, and, you know, I think we started challenge cup games in April. So right. it was a big move cross country, um, getting, you know, the legends field to a place that we felt like would be, a, an, an adequate fan experience and playing experience for, for the team in year one. Uh, it, it was definitely a whirlwind to get, to get the team up and running. And I really credit, you know, there were people before me, a woman named Pam Kramer, who came on board as the transitional CEO until I was hired has really been a big part of this journey um, through this first year. Some of our early staff members who have, who have really, um, really were critical in those early month or two to get things off the ground. We've grown so significantly in that time as well from a front office standpoint. So it's been a, a wild, interesting, fun like nothing I've ever done before in my career journey. Um, I wouldn't trade it for anything. And it's not over. <laughs> it's, it's, it's still not. going. <laughs> it's just getting started, really. I mean, you know, you think about the vision of this ownership group, which was what I was really excited about. I think, you know, when you look at women's sports and the history of women's sports, I mean, shifting, definitely shifting. I think we're at a tipping point. Um, but I think it's just lacked investment and owners that believe in, um, you know, 
investing in not only facilities, but in front office, um, really doing things in a manner um, that set us up for success long term. Um, I think we all believe in the vision of this league and what it can be. We believe in the quality of, of soccer. We believe in these women and what they stand for on and off the pitch. So, um, you know, again, Chris, Angie and Brittany, I just I've been blown away by their commitment and their um, vision for this for this club. And I think that is such an important point because, you know, I, I've seen this and unfortunately so much when it comes to women's soccer where it's like, well, let's put up a front so that we have women's soccer, but we're not necessarily investing in the long term, you know? Um, And I'm sure you've experienced this with women's sports too. It's like, well, we have a team. What what more do you want? It's like, well, why would you bother to run this business if you're not going to try to run it as successfully as possible? Yeah. And I think, I think what is really cool, um, you know, now we're getting some history and we have some, we have a sort of a path, right. To success in women's sports. I mean, this league now has been around for, um, just about a decade. The WNBA has been around now for 25 years. I think the WNBA paving the, you know, having, 15 years ahead of NWSL has provided some learnings on how you do things right, what the structure looks like from a front office standpoint. Um, You know, so that's been really critical. And, you know, I started in the WNBA in 2004. It was in a very different place. I think now there's an understanding of how you build a, you know, how you operate ticket sales, how you do partnerships, you know, how you're pitching partnerships, um, with different ticket offerings that you may have um, to keep it really flexible, be, how you market to a diverse audience to make sure that you're covering, you know, a wide swath because you, we know that, you know, women's soccer appeals to a very wide, wide range and very different demographics across the board. So I think all of those learnings, now we have the institutional knowledge, I think, um, from women's sports. And again, I think that's um, a credit to the people that have come before, stuck with it, um, have really bought into the investment um, across the board in women's sports. And what I find so interesting about Kansas City, um, you know, your club is that it's not part of, uh, you know, another club. It's not part of a men's team, right? Like your experience with Dash, it was part of Dynamo. I'm assuming most of your WNBA experience was in a city where it was both NBA and WNBA, right? Mm -hmm. So here it's, um, I I think it's just such a unique combination of owners that are stepping up, right, in a way that we've rarely seen before, um, a club on its own, and you're in a city where there was an NWSL franchise that you Mm -hmm. know there was a fan base for, but just didn't get really didn't get the investment it deserves. So I, I feel like it's such a unique situation in, in Kansas city. Can you speak more to that? Yeah. And, you know, I've had experiences in the WNBA with both independent and, you know, NBA partnered franchises. Um, and to your point, same thing in NWSL. I don't think there's a right or wrong way to do it. It really just comes down to attention and focus um, no matter what the infrastructure looks like, I think when you're walking into a situation where there is a men's team, you have some advantages of the infrastructure being in place, um, be it, you know, I don't know, let's just use something as simple as like, 
a finance department or accounting department, right? Versus we came here and it really is starting from scratch. And I think what I've loved about that process, again, first time ever being in that situation um, is you can really, we can build it however we want to build it. And we can be super nimble in terms of, okay, this, this, we thought this was the right direction to go. Doesn't really seem to be working. Let's, let's pivot another direction. And that's really an area, every area of the business, um, on the business side or technical side. So that's really, really nice to be able to have that sort of flexibility. And again, it just, I got to give all the credit to our ownership group because in the same way that you're seeing the investment on the team side with facilities and everything we're doing, they're making that same investment on the front office side as well. And and what has really been so critical is the build out of our front office team, making sure we have the resources, the expertise, you know, the level of leadership um, that, can really keep us top of mind and, and continue to put keep the momentum um, going and be very strategic about how we continue to, to build this. This city is, um, I mean, it is just an unbelievable sports town. Like we love our teams in Kansas City. Um, and to your point, there was there was that foundation of core fan base that um, supported um, FC Kansas City. Um, and I know so excited has been so excited to have the current back. And then you look at what what sporting has established and and what you know their matches look like. So it's just an it's like a perfect it's been a perfect storm in so many ways. I think with this ownership group in this city um, and coming back here and just the the community uh, support has been like nothing I've ever seen, frankly. Well, and of course, the the two big points of, of news for the club, um, you know, just in the last few weeks is one, a, a new stadium, which I was so excited to hear that news, right? Because everyone's saying, you know, they just need to play at Children's Mercy Park. But to show a commitment of we need our own venue. And, you know, of course, my first thought was, you know, where are you putting it, you know, in Kansas City? I love that it's going somewhere different from where Sporting KC plays, you know, where Legends Field is and different from where the Chiefs play, right? So you're kind of creating a different uh, destination. And then, of course, the finally, we've all been waiting all year for the the unveiling of of the brand and and the logo. And I I loved that at halftime of of the game last weekend that, you know, the players got to come out at halftime with, with the new logo. So talk about first... The, the stadium and and the decision to to make that commitment because that's huge. I mean, I I don't know if that was on the table, you know, early in the year or if it was something that the owner said, you know, we need to do this. We don't need to be at the mercy of you know a landlord. Yeah, I mean, Chris and Angie were talking about a, a right size stadium from the beginning. Um, I think they they we've moved very quickly on it. And, you know, it's interesting because we were having the discussion about the stadium, obviously sort of long-term planning for that. At the same time, we were obviously developing the, the new, the new brand. And it just so happened that the stars aligned and everything was ready to be announced um, in the way that it was. Um, And just makes obviously a ton of sense with the stadium being on the river. It just brings even more meaning to our name. And you kind of talked about the location of the stadium. You know, it's the first downtown stadium in Kansas City. And that has been talked about. That's amazing. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, the infrastructure and how downtown Kansas City has really changed in the last decade, especially, you know, the streetcar is going to extend down there. That whole area is going to be really revitalized and, and we're going to, you know, be a major part of cornerstone of that area. So obviously so excited. We're thrilled to be moving to Children's Mercy next year. It's such a beautiful venue. One of the best in MLS for sure. But, yeah. you know, you can have said this like, having a venue that is your own. I mean, I think working in women's sports and going through this process, you get so close to it and you're talking about it every single day that you kind of forget (laughs) when you announce it. The same thing happened with the training center, frankly, when you put that out in the world, the reaction to it and just the reminder that you're like, oh my gosh, we we're the first, like this is the first, this has never happened before. Um, is a little bit like I I, for, I kind of forgot that as you're working on the details of a press release and, <laughs> and just the logistics of things. And so just the worldwide reaction to that stadium announcement, I think just speaks to how ready everyone is for, you know, women to have their own venue. And it just changes the conversation and everything that we do from ticket offerings to the sponsors that are in the venue to scheduling. I mean, you think about how many times, you know, a team will get moved because their primary tenant is the priority. I mean, that's never going to happen for us. The branding of the stadium. I mean, all those things that, you know, we're going to get to do and listen, absolutely believe we're the first, we are not going to be the last at NWSL. Um, has just been phenomenal. And then, you know, I think the reaction to the brand launch, we, we just were thrilled the, the process was a, a year long. And I, again, I really credit ownership to taking their time with this. You know, we had a brand council, there were civic leaders involved. We did fan surveys. And, you know, as this name started really rising to the top, it just made so much sense. I mean, the city was built on the rivers, um, you know, can't two States coming together. Um, and we just love obviously the bold KC on the crest. Um, we've been just so happy with, the reaction. And, you know, we talked about different timing for unveiling too, and then just really landed on, look, we got to do this with our fans. Our fans have been with us all year um, showing up for us. Um, and we wanted, we wanted our, our fans to really be a part of, of, of that moment. It was, it was spectacular. Like it's one of the most memorable things I've ever been a part of in my career. Well, and to be able to do it on the broadcast as well. Um, yeah. So Saturday, I was moderating the Twitch chat for the broadcast, right? So that was the international um, viewing. That and and it was so funny the questions from international fans that were confused uh, about the difference between Kansas and Kansas City, <laughs> right? So like, and the the two cities, the two states thing. They're like, wait how can a city be in two states? (laughs) It's so interesting, isn't it? Like you're on the outside. I mean, when you drive around, like in your, your, you know, all of us have that automated sort of thing that happens in your car when you cross into a new state. It's like, you're now entering Missouri. You're now entering Kansas. If you live in Kansas city, you're getting that at least a couple of times a day. Yeah. And you're you're used to it. And at least if you're American, you know, it's like you're, aware of most of the big cities, you know, we've known soccer in Kansas city for a while. I remember the, the Jersey that sporting KC had a few years back where it, it was light blue and dark blue. And basically the line dividing was like the border shape 
between Missouri and Kansas City. So, you know, it's something that's been embraced, but that was, it made me think differently of like, wow, if, if you're not from the US, you know, that could be harder to, to wrap your brain around. But <laughs> what, 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 what I love about the, the name is that it's not um, taking any cues from existing names, you know, any, anywhere in soccer. Um, and that it is very city specific and that you, you guys stayed with the, the bright red and the teal. I love that. I mean, I, I don't know that I would have had a job the next day had the teal gone somewhere. I mean, the teal, <laughs> been, you know, the, it, and it, that, you know, honestly, that again, that really helped having that inaugural crest informed um, a lot of the direction. Like we, it, that was so well received, the colors, the, you know, the bold KC, it really helped provide the direction for the, you know, path forward forever. So we've been really pleased with it. We're happy to have a name. <laughs> and talk about the the players i mean did they get to be involved in in any of those like you know any feedback about the name or the colors or just you know what about their excitement of you know coming out second half with that crest on of like this is real you know like it's like we may be at a baseball stadium right now but we've got a real stadium next year and 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 a bigger one coming in 2024 and look at our new name I tell you what, it's been really fun with the, so the players were involved really early in the process. And then we involved the leadership council um, as we went through the process as well. So they did provide some great feedback um, to us as we went through that. And we did get them together um, in advance of the final, final match to show them, you know, some of the videos and stuff that they wouldn't be able to see at halftime. So it was that last few, the last month and a half was so fun as everything, you know, they kind of knew what was happening. We kept them informed, but obviously things weren't out in the world. So the training center, the stadium, the move to Children's Mercy, um, and then the brand. I mean, it was just this like such a nice build of excitement as we closed out this year to really get us ready um, for next year. And I, I just I can't say enough about this group of women that, you know, it was a big shift for them too to come into Kansas City. And, you know, we talk about getting the franchise up and running. I mean, that was an adjustment for them too. And they were just great, um, you know, such great leadership um, with our cat. I mean, Rachel Corsi's salt of the earth and like on down to our rookies. They just were such a pleasure to work with. Um, and just, you know, again, provided great input along the way. I mean, that's always been my philosophy, I think. And Chris and Angie, again, another thing that really drew me to this franchise was them talking about being player first. And, um, I really have always believed in that. I think you got to start with input from players and kind of build your infrastructure around, you know, what, they want to see and what they want to do and and little things, right. Little, even down to the little logistics, I think that makes such a different difference if it's a collaborative effort and they've been wonderful through that, uh, that whole process. Well, especially when I think about the bulk of the players on this roster, the ones that aren't, that aren't rookies, the ones that for many of them had left KC to go to Utah Mm -hmm. Um, only, you know, to come back. And I'm sure for several of them, it was like, Mm -hmm. oh, this is awesome. I mean, you know, I think of Lola Bonta, who's like, great, I can be back where my fiance, you know, now husband is. Um, Desi, Desi's another great example. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, fans just love her. Yeah. And that, you know, that they can come back knowing that, hey, we have fans here, but wow, this is being done on a whole different level Mm -hmm. from the franchise that was, 
FC Kansas City. And then you guys had such a great run um, to almost end the season undefeated at, at home. But I, I love that stretch from what, like July to mid-October mm-hmm. un- undefeated at home, right? Like it, we all know how hard it is to be, you know, the first a team in your first season in, in this league, regardless if you've inherited players or not. Um, you know, so to have something like that, and then because of scheduling and that rescheduled game, you guys had a great stretch of home games at the end, right? So it's yeah. like, I would think if I'm, you know, a Kansas City fan attending games, it's like kind of a nice push at the end of the season to make me really excited for 2022. Yeah. And it just, again, it speaks to their character, how they stayed together as a group, the leadership of the group, um, just phenomenal. And it was so great to see them have that success, especially at home in front of our, our fans and, you know, just tremendous momentum to your point headed into to 22 and, and making the shift to children's mercy. Everybody's just can't wait to get started. We heard consistently from players as they were, you know, we were wrapping up and having conversations that, you know, they wish the season started tomorrow. <laughs> and then when do we get to see a, a new Kansas city Jersey? I mean, like a teal, right. There's going to be a teal kit, right? <laughs> That's, you know, it's in the works. All of our, um, uh, 2022, um, unveiling plans are, you know, as soon as we, ended Saturday night, we were shifting the focus to what are we going to do in the off season and what's the build to next season? I mean, the off season is short, so um, you gotta, you gotta turn the page pretty quickly. Yeah. It's, I, I saw some fans going, what did they, what did the players do in the off season? And like, it's not as long as you think it is. No, even, if, even if you don't make the playoffs, it's like, you know, first you've got to have that, like, okay, my body needs to rest. I need to see friends and family. I need the time off mentally. And then you've got the holidays and then, you know, boom, we're, we're, we're coming back pretty soon. But, but I love how just in a short time, uh, you know, the league has grown enough where it really is a year round job. Right. Mm -hmm. I've had some people ask, they're like, wait, aren't our players going to Australia? I was like, that's not viable anymore. And it's Mm -hmm. good that it's not viable. You know, the, yeah. the whole point in some of the changes over the last few years, and a lot of this, right, got overshadowed by by COVID, is, is that being able to provide a year-round home to players so that they're not, like, booted out of their corporate apartments on November 1st, right? That yeah. they actually have, you know, year-round housing and support. So, sure, if they want to go on loan somewhere, that's an option, but you don't have to go find somewhere else to live, right? Like, I, I know there's so much um, growth that still needs to, you know, to come from this league. We know what the players are asking for, but I feel at the same time, a lot should be acknowledged of just, you know, say just in the five years, right, since since you were at the Dash in terms of the length of the season um, and the compensation afforded the players. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable the strides that have been made since my time in Houston even. And I, you know, I say this all the time, like you look at men's sports in year 10 and leaves and where they were, and it's just, we're light years ahead. So we're all really impatient. We all want progress to happen much faster than it is, or, you know, just to growth, I guess is a better word than progress, because I feel like we're making progress. But um, you know, it takes time. And I think sports is such a generational thing. I'm, you know, I'm a 
St. Louis Cardinals fan because my grandfather is a St. Louis Cardinals fan, you know? So (laughs) I think, you know, I had no choice. And I think you grow up in these households and this is something I definitely started to see in the WNBA. You were starting to see those people, those women who grew up going to games as, you know, young girls and teenagers now bringing their kids and their family. It's starting to become this generational thing. And and we're going to see that in NWSL too, right? There's the loyalty to the city that I think plays a part in it. But then I do think it becomes very generational on top of that. And, and speaking to that, um, one of the the shifts that uh, I'm finally starting to see, thankfully is, is moving away from the little girl angle. Um, You know, we still have some owners say, you know, I have daughters, you know, and, you know, let's do it for the little girls. And, you know, not that they shouldn't be fans, but I feel like you're kind of dismissing, you know, the bulk of the fan base. And in men's sports, it was never, you know, we should do this for the little boys. It's you go to games like you're talking about. You're a Cardinals fan because your grandfather was, right? Mm -hmm. So it was something that you saw adults do. So you grew up knowing this is this is what adults do. And mm-hmm. I think for such a long time, we marketed women's soccer as this is what little girls do. And the little girls grow up and they're like, why would I still go to games? That's what little girls do. Right. You know, and, yeah. and, 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 I, mean, and I feel like we're, we're seeing that shift. You know, any of the games that I watch, and of course, I watch almost every single one. It's like when they pan to the stands, it's like it's not um, screaming little girls like it was. 10 years ago they're still there but yeah. so many more adults of all different stripes and i love to see that yeah the demographic is so broad that's a it's a great point and we you know we try to really focus on a multitude of strategies to really appeal to those people i don't know if you saw the our collaboration with our local brewery boulevard uh brewery we have a, a pilsner called teal rising uh, that we nice. nice. you need to check it out. The brand announcement, we're, we're super pumped about it. And, you know, they, they debuted it the Monday after the brand reveal and they had a line outside the door of people that wanted to come in and, and get their crowler. So again, I think doing a wide swath of things, it does appeal to um, all fans of all ages. We definitely want to do that because we know they're there. Nice. There's just so much good stuff going on in Kansas City. Uh, it, it makes me want to visit Amber. It really does. You got to get out here, Jen. You know I would love to have you. There's. I think we need some sort of like we got to get. I think we started it a little bit this year. The the Houston versus Kansas City barbecue thing. Maybe there's a game yes. where there's like the, the golden. You know, like chicken leg or something i mean that that's that's what i that's what i told uh jeff the pr guy i was like we need the barbecue cup and it's houston kansas city north carolina and whoever has the best season series among the three right like buys barbecue for everybody else or or, you know something like that i'm down let's do it the golden barbecue (laughs) tongs that we're passed around yes yes We got it. We have to have fun stuff like that. Well, Amber, thank you so much for taking the time to talk um, Kansas City Current, and and I'm so glad uh, to see someone with your experience coming back in, into the league. I mean, we need we need more of that, and I'm just so excited for 2022. Me too. Well, I appreciate you, Jen.
time to wrap it up with the back four. We've got NWSL playoffs continuing this weekend on Sunday. Back-to-back games, we've got first the number two seed, O.L. Reign, hosting Washington Spirit. That'll be the first semifinal at 3 p.m. Eastern. And then NWSL Shield winners, Portland, will host Chicago, 5.30 p.m. Eastern. Both games will air live on CBS Sports in the USA and Canada and on Twitch everywhere else. So if you're in the USA or Canada and you do not have access to CBS Sports, I highly recommend looking into free trials for Fubo TV or YouTube TV or Hulu. Um, and also, so you know, all NWSL games on CBS Sports are later posted on Paramount Plus for on-demand viewing. So if you have Paramount Plus, but for some reason cannot get access to CBS Sports, at least you know the game will be eventually posted on Paramount Plus for, for on-demand viewing. And then on Saturday, November 20th, those semifinal winners from Sunday will meet in the championship game in Louisville. That game kicks off at noon on C- uh, noon Eastern on CBS. Big CBS, that is. That means broadcast TV CBS for the first time in U.S. women's pro soccer history. The championship game will be on broadcast TV. It will also be on Paramount Plus and Twitch. And for more info about the game, check out nwslsoccer.com slash championship. Tickets are available for sale. More than 6,000 tickets have already been sold. I know a lot of people are traveling in for the game. Um, If you feel safe traveling and you've got the time and resources, I highly recommend it because it's so neat to see so many soccer fans from so many different teams all in the same place at the same time. And I'm really looking forward to checking out the Lynn Family Stadium. Also coming up, we have Australia friendlies. The U.S. women's roster has been announced for the two friendlies in Australia in late November. Vlako Ananowski named 22 players for this roster, 21 of whom are playing in NWSL right now. Note that this is the first roster since the Olympics that Ananowski was not contractually obligated to call in any Olympians. So this squad is a mix of experienced younger players, young players with few or no caps, and just a couple of players over 30 to have some, you know, seniority, leadership experience. Two players were called in but opted out, those being Mallory Pugh and Trinity Rodman. Note that any other player who's not on this roster was not called in. Doesn't mean it. You know, only Mallory Pugh and Trini Rodman opted out. So you don't see your favorite player on this roster. It doesn't mean she opted out. It means she wasn't called in. But don't read anything into that. The end of a long soccer year with a lot of travel in it. This is a perfect time to rest older players, rest more experienced players or players who've been dealing with nagging injuries and give the top performing youngsters an opportunity. And you'll be able to watch these games. The first one will be on Fox Sports 2 on Friday, November 26th. That's the day after Thanksgiving at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific. And the second match will be on ESPN on Tuesday, December 30th at 4 a.m. Eastern, 1 a.m. Pacific. Yes, I said a.m. Don't forget there's a huge time difference between the USA and Australia. So they clearly adjusted the time. So at least one of these games would be in kind of a more normal watch time for American audiences. Also coming up this weekend, we have the NCAA women's division one tournament kicking off the 64 team bracket was unveiled on Monday and the first round games will be played this Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. There's a great interactive bracket at NCAA.com. 
you can see all the different teams and who will face whom when. Um, I will try to share as much viewing info as I can via Twitter and keepernotes.com, but that bracket is probably your best uh, direct source. And it even offers live stats during games, so if there's something you can't watch, um, at least you can kind of follow the scoring. And mark your calendars, the College Cup, a.k.a. the Women's Final Four, for soccer will be played in Santa Clara, California on December 3rd and December 5th. And last, two more dates to mark on your December soccer calendar. The NWSL expansion draft for Angel City and San Diego Wave will be held in LA on Thursday, December 16th. And then the NWSL college draft will also be held there just two days later on Saturday, December 18th. And yes, both of those events will be televised or broadcast or otherwise shared with NWSL fans. All right, that's it for this episode of the Mixed Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. Big shout out, of course, to Roughneck Scarves and IcarusFC.com for their sponsorship of this podcast. Big shout out to my producer, Sean Ringrose, whose own podcast you can check out at anchor.fm slash Jen Orange. And that's Jen as in G-E-N, Orange. And finally, big thanks to the Beautiful Game Network for hosting The Mix Zone. But now she's anybody's girl.